From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backhold. Tony is out today, and I'm filling in for him, and it's my pleasure to do so. But you can get your uh, get some Tony Perkins tonight at PrayVoteStand.org. He will be at the Pray Vote Stand broadcast, 8 o'clock Eastern, at PrayVoteStand.org. You don't want to miss it. So set your calendar and be there. Uh, today, here in Washington, D.C., the Democratic majority in Congress is pushing several major pieces of legislation that they claim are designed and needed to protect the civil rights of women and minorities. But what does it do that they aren't telling you about? We'll hear from Mary Hassan of the Catholic Women's Forum on the Equality Act. Later in the program, we'll hear from U.S. Representative Debbie Lesko on how the Violence Against Women Act introduced this year will amount to just that, violence against women. Then, FRC's own Mary Zock will join us to discuss the Democrats' attempt to resurrect the Equal Rights Amendment. What does that mean for women's rights? And lastly, which state do we go to to find out what the left wants to do most? And of course, that state is California. And we're going to talk with uh, Jonathan Keller, who's the president of the California Family Council, about some uh, disturbing developments on the left coast that you need to be aware of because it really is kind of the canary in the coal mine out there on the West Coast. But first up, it is the Equality Act. And I am joined by Mary Hassan. She's the director of the Catholic Women's Forum and a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She is also significantly the author of Get Out Now, Why You Should Pull Your Children from Public School Before It's Too Late. And earlier today, she testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee on the Equality Act. Mary, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much. Glad to be on. Well, we are glad to have you. Uh, tell us what you hope the Judiciary Committee heard from you today. Well, I hope that they came away with a strong sense of the threat to faith-based organizations and people of faith that this uh, this bill, the Equality Act, uh, poses because the provisions in it are likely to uh, – they're designed to coerce faith-based people and organizations into accepting this, the ideas of uh, gender ideology, sexual orientation, gender identity, or telling them you don't belong in the public square. And so I think that point came across clearly, although it was certainly contested by the other side. And well, as one would expect, now you, you use the word coercion. Do you think the coercion you refer to is the point of the legislation or is that a byproduct of the legislation? Well, I think that's the point of it, because if you if you look at the legislation, one of the things it does is it it expands the idea of what is, quote, a public accommodation and public accommodations are subject to civil rights laws and anti-discrimination provisions. And historically, that's only been four categories, things like restaurants and, and stadiums and things like that. The Equality Act expands that so that if you're um, if you have a church that opens up and has an open gym for the sake of your members, that could be construed as 
as being a public accommodation or the homeless shelter you run or any any such things. And all of a sudden, you've got this huge litigation exposure. So that's one thing. But then the second thing is the Equality Act then says, we're not going to let you use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a defense, which has been a vital piece of legislation in defending the free exercise of religion for the past, well, certainly in the past 20 years, as we've had more and more challenges to that. Um, so, so it's a double whammy. It expands the number of religious organizations. Really, it's the government intruding and saying, we're going to consider you uh, a, a public forum, a, a public accommodation. And then we're going to say, you're subject to lawsuits, but we're going to take away this vital piece of your defense, the ability to defend your free exercise of religion and, and saying, you can't, can't use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So... It's uh, highly problematic, and yes, I think it's it's aggressive. I think it is designed to do exactly that, to coerce belief. Now, now, Mary, there is, of course, support for the Equality Act, and, and one of the people who testified in support of it today was Alfonso David, who's the uh, the president of the Human Rights Campaign, and, and most people will recognize that the Human Rights Campaign is the uh, largest and, and most influential LGBT lobby organization in America. And he had this to say, and this is clip number one. Bobby, why don't you say, uh, play that, and then I'm going to let Mary respond. This law does not change how religious institutions function, only if those religious institutions open up its places of public accommodations. Mary, what's your reaction to that, this idea that it actually doesn't affect religious organizations only if they open up as public accommodations? Yeah, what it's a, a verbal sleight of hand, so to speak. Really what he's saying is you religious people can go be religious behind closed doors, but as soon as you open those doors to serve the public to express your faith out in the public square, then we're going to come after you. You're, you're going to be subject to these lawsuits. So by saying, well, it doesn't interfere with your belief, uh, he's, he's just saying, get back behind those closed doors, and, and you can't be part of, um, of society. You can't live your faith. You can't act on your beliefs without risk of lawsuits. How, how big of a change would that be? Under, under the law as it stands today, are most religious organizations and churches, are they public accommodations or are they something else? No, no, they're, they're specifically not. And so there has long been a respect in the law for the idea that the government does not want to intrude upon the functions and activities of religious organizations. And that's for two reasons. One, to, to protect that free exercise. You don't want the government coming in and criticizing the fact that you believe in male and female and, and telling you that you should instead accept this idea of gender identity. You don't want the government doing that. But it, it's also because that frees religious organizations to come and be active and to minister within society. So we see that there is a tremendous wealth of service that is done by religious organizations, whether Christian, Catholic, Jewish. And, and so that's a good thing for society. But that's possible because we're allowed to function according to our beliefs. You take that away, then you're coercing. I, I think that's a, it's an important point because the, the, the First Amendment has always protected not just the freedom of 
of worship, but the freedom of religion. And that has long been understood as something that you can do not just in your house of worship or in your personal residence, in your private residence, but in something right. that you can do in every area of life. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And another thing I didn't even mention was besides the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is a statutory provision designed to secure that that ability uh, to allow the courts to engage in a balancing test. If a religious freedom is burdened, then the courts will come in and say, okay, but is there a compelling state interest? But there's also the First Amendment, and the Equality, aim, or Equality Act takes aim at that as well. It puts its thumb on the scale and says that anything that's covered under this Equality Act is by definition a compelling state interest, and therefore uh, it, it just tips the scales against believers. So it's hard not to view this effort as not being so much about securing anti-discrimination provisions, but about sort of kicking people of faith and organizations out of the public square and saying, get back behind your church doors, unless you're willing to agree to this ideology. Senator Tom Cotton made a uh, similar argument today, and we're going to play that. Uh, Bobby, I believe that is clip three. And then, Mary, I'll have you respond to this as well. Sure. If this bill passes, a bureaucrat in Washington, however, may show up at their doorstep one day, or an official-looking letter may arrive in the mail, and the bureaucrat will ask whether the charity operates according to beliefs about gender identity that were totally and completely novel until just yesterday and when they become mandatory, even though they remain deeply unpopular with the American people. And if these citizens refuse, whether out of faith or common sense or both, they will be punished. Now, Mary, Senator Cotton here suggests that people are going to be punished for believing things that the majority of Americans actually believe about things like gender. Do you think that's true? Well, so here's, here's what's going on. The majority of people, I think, believe in the reality that we're created male and female. But people are scared to say that. And what's happening is that we're seeing on the state level, municipal level, in corporate policies, in the schools, this idea of gender identity being promoted. The idea that who you are depends on your self-perception, not the reality of being male or female. So while I think if you could have a uh, an anonymous survey where people were really free to speak, I think you would find the majority of people would shake their heads at the idea that a male could somehow become a female, but they're not necessarily willing to stick their necks out and say it in public because of what's been happening within the culture, the cancel culture, the, uh, the intimidation in people's places of work and, and just on Twitter, social media, whatever it is. So I, what I would say is we need to encourage each other as believers, as people who believe in science, <laughs> the truth about the person. We need to be unafraid to speak the truth. And we need to push back on this idea that the person can self-define their own reality without regard to the body and the truth of biological sex. Um, and so that's on all of us to do that. I think that's a really important point that all of this, I mean, there, there's so much shaking our heads at what we read in the headlines these days. But much of the reason we've gotten to the point that we have today is because so many people have chosen to keep their mouth shut because the conflict is hard and, and we fear mm -hmm. what will happen if we, if we do um, if we do say publicly what we what we think and say privately mm -hmm. now. 
You were in the hearing today. What was your sense of how the committee uh, responded to the arguments? What was your sense of the of, of the climate in the room? And what do you expect uh, for the future of this bill in the Senate? Well, I think, uh, one, I was testifying virtually, as most of the witnesses were in this age of COVID. But it, it seemed to very much break down by partisan lines. And I think there's a recognition on the part of the Democrats that they have two real problems. They have the problem that that the, the Equality Act imposes or privileges gender identity over biological sex to the detriment of women's safety, their privacy. And that's something they need to grapple with. So it's possible that, that they will um, promote an amendment, for example, to preserve female sports on the basis of sex. But I think it's important for, for Christians and, and people of common sense to realize that just scratches the, the surface in terms of the problems with this bill. So there's much more to do. Well, Mary, we do thank you for uh, your, your voice and for, for your voice in the, in the Judiciary Committee today and also for taking the time to be with us today. We really do appreciate you and your contributions to our country. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was Mary Hassan. She is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and director of the Catholic Women's Forum. Coming up next, different bill, but the same goals. The Democrats are trying to push through the same pro-abortion, pro-transgender agenda with a different bill that used to be about protecting women from violence. We'll talk about it next. Stay tuned. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. 
To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, filling in for Tony Perkins today. And once again, you can find Tony at PrayVoteStand.org tonight at the PrayVoteStand broadcast at 8 o'clock Eastern. Today, we, we just got done speaking about the Equal the Equality Act being debated over in the Senate. On the House side of the building, they were debating the Violence Against Women's Act, or VAWA as it's abbreviated. It's an annual bill to provide funding for victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and trafficking. At least that's what it's supposed to be doing. Joining me to discuss some other things that it might be doing is U.S. Representative Debbie Lesko, who represents the 8th Congressional District of Arizona. Representative Lesko, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled to have you uh, on the program and in Washington, D.C. Give us a little background about what the Violence Against Women Act is and why we're debating it right now. Well, unfortunately, the Democrats have pushed through the House uh, once again, uh, this Partisan Violence Against Women Act, and it really is a shame. I, I don't know if you and your listeners know, but I am a survivor of domestic violence from my previous marriage. And so I know a little bit about this subject, and uh, I've been involved in helping a domestic violence shelter in my district as well, as well as outside of my district. So this is an important issue to me. We have to help women that are being abused, and there's some men as well that experience domestic violence. But this certainly is not the answer, and the Democrats know it. Basically, this is a partisan bill that is pushing their radical, Democrats' radical agenda of, you know, forcing under penalty of federal law, uh, women, domestic violence shelters to take in men. And, you know, if the man says he's a woman, it could be like he feels like a woman for one minute or longer uh, they have to take them in and put them right next to the women, even if the women's privacy is at risk or the women's safety is at risk. And this is just wrong. I remember last, uh, I think it was last 
year, or certainly last Congress, when I was in Judiciary Committee, I proposed an amendment in Judiciary Committee saying that if the women feel unsafe, they should have priority. You shouldn't put a man in with women if the women object. The Democrats shot that down. So, again, this bill would force women domestic violence shelters to take in men, put them right next to men. It also takes away uh, the First Amendment rights of religious organizations. It would force them to do this. Um, and it also uh, does, you know, unconstitutional things, taking away our, our freedoms of religion and our First Amendment. Well, you this has been debated for for many years in Washington, D.C. This isn't the first time the, the Violence Against Women's Act has, has come up uh, for discussion. What do the proponents of VAWA say about the idea that uh, women escaping abusive relationships should not be forced to share spaces with men who identify as women? What's their response to that argument? They deny that there's a problem. I mean, when I was in Judiciary Committee, they just said we're making up stuff. Well, we're not making up things because I, I brought up an example uh, in the, the United Kingdom. There was an example where they put in a man into a woman's prison and the man raped the women. Uh, you know, and so th that's the problem. It, it, it's. These radical agenda, this gender identity, gender fluidity, it's really decaying um, our family values. I mean, it, this is really dangerous because you don't even have to have had a sex change operation or hormone therapy or there is not a certain time that has to go by that you have identified as the opposite sex. You could literally change this every minute. And and yes. that's what's dangerous about this, because somebody they, can just say they're a woman and go in what, right next to women's beds, shelters. And a lot of these women have been abused. This this is not fair to the women. And and I know that you, you can speak to that because you have your own experience with this. Do the proponents of VAWA, do they... Do they deny that women are concerned about this in these shelters, or do they deny that it's a legitimate concern for them to have? They deny everything that the Republicans say, any concerns. They just deny that it's even a, an issue. They deny that people, I've heard them say, um, they wouldn't do that. No man would do that. I mean, it gives me a break. There's bad people out there. You know, so just because they, you know, somebody they know might do it, there's bad actors out there. Are you telling me that there's not men out there that are going to just pretend that they're women so they can get in with a women's shelter and a women's shower and, and, and everything else? Of course, there's bad actors out there. Unfortunately, there's bad people. We don't live in a utopia world where everybody, you know, is, is totally honest. And so they just deny it. They, they deny it happens. Well, and and you pointed out the uh, incident in the United Kingdom uh, in a prison, and, and that, of course, is a population uh, that attracts people who have already demonstrated a willingness to maybe do things that are inappropriate in order to get what they want. 
and applying these rules to a prison population seems um, particularly uh, negligent when you consider who it is that's involved in this. Now, Representative Lesko, um, we've heard some chatter about the fact that this would apply somehow to the Second Amendment. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, the um, when this went through judiciary last time, and again, it didn't even go through judiciary committee this time. They just pushed it through and put it on the floor. It's really outrageous. Well, Representative Lesko from Arizona, we thank you so much for your time and for fighting for what is good and beautiful here in Washington, D.C. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about another women's issue, the Equal Rights Amendment. Is this also being hijacked? We're going to talk about it with Mary Zock. Coming up next. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony Perkins today. We've talked about the Equality Act. We have talked about the Violence Against Women's Act. Violence Against Women Act. And we are now going to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. All these lovely sounding names for pieces of legislation that, uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, there's more, the devil is in the details, as they say. There's a lot going on uh, beyond the headline, which is, of course, intended to generate lots of sympathy and support. 
But now we're going to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. And joining me to talk about it is FRC's Mary Zock, who is the director of the Center for Human Dignity. Mary. Thanks so much for having me, Joseph. We are so glad to have you. Now, somebody who might be listening to the program today might be confused. Equal Rights Amendment. We're going to talk about now the Equality Act we talked about a few minutes ago. What's the difference? All this equality. So the major difference between the two is that the Equal Rights Amendment is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The Equality Act is a piece of legislation that would apply immediately to federal laws. But the the big takeaway here is that both of these masquerade as bills that would advance women when really all they do is enshrine abortion on demand and they they break down our definitions of of biological sex. Now, do, why are we trying to break down the definition of biological sex? It it really makes no sense, you know, and on the day that we are also hearing the Violence Against Women's Act, we are hearing an amendment that would break down the definition of biological sex so that that would say women don't exist as a as a well, defined it, person. How, how do we stop violence against women if we don't know what women are, Mary? Exactly. I have no idea how you do that. Well, you wrote a great article in Newsweek that everybody should go look up uh, about your own journey as an athlete and how you think the Equal Rights Amendment would impact women like you. Tell us tell us your story. Yeah, so in second grade, I wanted to play in the NBA because the WNBA didn't exist yet. My daughter wants to, well, she's a little older. She's 16 now. She wanted to play in the NFL until about two years ago. But, yeah, in in sixth grade, I found out that uh, there were, that women could excel in sports when Notre Dame won the national championship. And I realized I wanted to play basketball for Notre Dame. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to, to win a national championship for Notre Dame. Incidentally, my mom wishes I had just played the piano, but um, I practiced every day, and I practiced against guys. And here's the thing. I never got better than the guys. They were just biologically bigger, stronger, and faster than me. Fortunately, I didn't have to try out against them. Mary Hassan, who testified today on the Equality Act, she was a swimmer at Notre Dame, had to, had to try out against the men's swimming team because there weren't women's sports yet. Mm-hmm. And so I benefited from the from Title IX, from from the countless women who came before me, in that I was able to to compete only against women, and and actually came pretty close to achieving the dream of right. of winning the championship. Now, I had the very last seat on the bench, but uh, you were there. We were there. We were there. You are the Notre Dame basketball team's Rudy, right? I I would. I would like to say so, but Rudy Rudy did a little better than I did. No, no I don't believe it. But the, but under the Equal Rights Amendment, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have been comp- competing against men and, and would have been relegated to the practice squad for my entire four years. Now, there's some controversy about why we're even debating the Equal Rights Amendment, because this has kind of been proposed since the 70s, right? This is not a new proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Isn't there some controversy about whether this is even possible now? Right. So the Equal Rights Amendment, it, it, it is not legally possible what they're trying to do, right? They, they have to start all over. The ratification process has to start all over because we've passed the deadline. And they, they failed to meet the deadline. They failed to meet the, the deadline extension. Um, and so really this is... So why are we debating it? 
right now? It comes up year after yeah. year after year under the guise of promoting women. It does nothing to help women. Now, the idea is men and women should be treated differently or treated the same, right? That's the, that's the premise of the Equal Rights Amendment. Is it ever appropriate for men and women to be treated differently under the law? I would say certainly. You know, there are, there are different arenas where because of biological differences between men and women, we can't treat men and women the same. The military is a great example of this. Women are just never going to be as strong as, as men. And I played basketball at Notre Dame. There were some pretty strong girls. The men's team, all of those guys were stronger. So I, I think that there are times under the law where men and women should certainly be treated differently. Do you feel like today that we're in a world in which men and women don't have equal rights? No, I don't. I don't think so. And I think that we can see that when when we see, you know, we have we have senators who are men and we have senators who are women. We have we have women who are CEOs and we have men who are CEOs. We have women who are excelling in the field of athletics and we have men who are. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a fake um, dilemma that is set up to to promote abortion, really. Well, promote abortion. It, it's it's a politically advantageous thing to talk about, right? We, there's inequality. I'm going to address it. So vote for me. And, and, and it feeds, I think, this just kind of victim mentality. But I think one thing we need is we all the talk about equality is with men and women or other groups. People can be equal without being the same. And the beautiful thing about humanity, the two halves of humanity, I think, is that we are not all the same, but that doesn't make us unequal. And we can, we used to celebrate differences, right? Certainly. Mary Zock, thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks so much for having me. Stay up, stay with us. On the other side of the break, we're going to go to the left coast, to California, to find out what crazy things are happening there. And you won't be surprised to find out that there's quite a few. Talk about it after the break. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. 
there is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We are so glad that you have joined us today. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. Now, to end the show, there's a lot of California news in the air this week. To help us get a handle on this is my good friend and all-around great guy, Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. Jonathan, welcome. Joseph, always good to be with you the Washington Watch audience. Uh, even even given the craziness that we're talking about today. Well, we know that there's th- th- there's plenty of it, but I also I think it's helpful for people who might be uh, in the middle of the country, uh, maybe the south part of the country, that they keep a good handle on what's going on in California because I perceive California and, and the coast and I guess maybe the northeast uh, as well as kind of a window to the future if people don't get a hold of their local community. Is is that fair? Unfortunately, yes. And it's not just you and I being hyperbolic. I mean, there were reports that came out, news articles that came out in the weeks immediately following the inauguration in January that said Joe Biden's goal, make America California again. Well, and that should send shivers down everyone's spine. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is, is a Californian that you are, you are exporting to all of us through President Biden, Xavier Becerra. He, uh, he's been nominated for HHS secretary. And as of today, he uh, succeeded in a cloture vote. He, his vote for confirmation will happen later this week. What do people need to know about him? Well, I will say this. Um, it is hard to imagine an individual who would be worked for people of faith, for pro-life advocates, for unborn children, for the First Amendment, than Javier Becerra to fill this role as the Secretary of Health and Human uh, Joseph, I've even talked to some pro-life advocates that said they would rather have someone like Leanna Wynn, the former president of Planned Parenthood, she would even be better 
than someone as radical as Javier Becerra. Um, he is currently our attorney general here in the state of California. That is the position that was originally held by Kamala Harris before she was elected to the Senate. And they really are two peas in a pod. Javier Becerra and Kamala Harris both used that office here in the state of California to persecute and prosecute people like David Delighton, the brave undercover journalist who exposed the egregious uh, Planned Parenthood, the fact that they were harvesting the body parts of unborn children and selling them to the highest bidder at universities across the country. Uh, furthermore, Javier Becerra went on to try to enforce a law, AB775, that was attacking pro-life pregnancy centers here in the state of California. Yeah, rather than settling, rather than realizing this was a violation of the First Amendment, and it was a violation of the rights of people of faith generally, he took this law all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And they, fortunately, uh, by a five to four decision, they slapped down Javier Becerra in the state of California. But it Jonathan, we, I'm going I'm to cut in here. We're, we're having a connection issue there uh, for a moment, and we're going to see if we can improve that connection. So uh, hang tight for a second. We're going to try to get you back on the other line. And it was cutting in and out. Uh, so we'll, we'll get Jonathan Keller back with us. But he's explaining Javier Becerra and his, as the attorney general of the state of California, how his like over-the-top aggressive not only just advocacy for abortion rights, but in in a very real sense, persecution of people who are pro-life. And, and he was telling the story of David Delighton, and, and many of you will know that name because he he ran the uh, the Center for Medical Progress and did a bunch of great videos exposing what the abortion industry does. But Jonathan, do we have you back here? See if the connections. We're back. I apologize. Yep, okay. Apologize well, you, you know, I, I'm sure it was. Uh, uh, Jeff Bezos or, or, or perhaps Zuckerberg breaking in, trying to interfere with our communications. So uh, no hard feelings. But, uh, yes, finish your point there on Becerra. The second issue, I, I heard you mentioning David Delighton. Uh, the, the second thing that he had done was attacking pro-life pregnancy centers. Uh, we had this bill in California that would have forced every Christian pregnancy center in the state to advertise for Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers. It would have forced them to post notices on the walls of their clinics, uh, in their printed materials, even on their websites, telling Californians where they could get free abortions paid for by the state of California. And Javier Becerra, remarkably, followed in the footsteps of Kamala Harris. He defended that law and took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And fortunately, he lost. Fortunately, the bill was overturned by a five to four vote there at the Supreme Court. But that's the type of radicalism that you would get out of Javier Becerra. If he is in charge of the Department of Health and Human Services, unfortunately, I have every confidence that he will use that like a hammer to attack pro-life pregnancy centers, to attack uh, Catholic hospitals and other uh, faith-based hospitals across the country, uh, and to attack insurance plans. most recently, there's a bill in California that would be attempting to force every abortion plan in the state to cover abortion with no deductibles and no copays. And I think if Javier Becerra is in charge of the federal government, that's the type of policy you would see implemented nationwide. 
that's a really good list of reasons why people shouldn't support him. Now, he's he's being nominated to be the head of Health and Human Services. Does he have any health care experience? Well, I mean, sure. He voted for Obamacare. What more experience do you need? <laughs> well, uh, touche. Touche. And I, I guess know, that means the answer to the question is no, not not a lot of health care experience. No, but when he was nominated, that was initially the thing that um, – Nancy Pelosi tried to say was, well, you know, he was very helpful when we were drafting Obamacare. Um, I saw during his initial nomination, people were putting uh, clips up, video clips of him debating health care bills on the floor during the 1993-1994 Hillary Care debacle. I mean, that is how long Javier Becerra has been in Washington, D.C., and has been on the far left edge of the Democratic Party when it comes to these issues. So, he has, so he's not a doctor. He has no specific relevant experience uh, other than being very ideological for a long time. So for those of you uh, following along at home, if you have an opinion about Javier Becerra and his nomination, call your U.S. senator and let him know. But Jonathan, let him or her know about how you feel about whether they want him, him confirmed to this position. Jonathan, we're going to switch topics because there's so much going on in California and time is limited here. Um, AB 655. Now, this is a proposed legislation in California that it would bar anyone who has, quote, engaged in membership in, in, in a hate group, participation in a hate group activity, or public expressions of a hate, as those terms are defined, from being a public officer. These are restrictions on who can hold certain public offices and the, the definition of hate and, and the things that would exclude them are being part of a hate group. What are they trying to do here? Well, look, Joseph, I think that you and I would agree. I think every American would probably agree that we would not want to have uh, someone who is a, a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan uh, be the head of your local police department. You know, we, we just elect those people to be senators in West Virginia. But um, – <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Zing. Uh, for those of you who for those of you who don't know, uh, Robert Byrd, the Democrat senator, longtime Democrat senator from West Virginia, was a prominent member of the Ku Klux Klan. And I, uh, I do think that most Republicans and certainly Democrats would agree that's not the type of person that you would want as your local police officer. Uh, but, Joseph, this bill goes so far beyond just uh, these so-called uh, hate groups that are broadly accepted, broadly defined. You know, um, Nazis, um, the Ku Klux Klan, you know, conservatives would certainly consider Antifa to be a hate group. But this goes so much farther than that. Uh, as you know, you and your colleagues there at Family Research Council uh, were subject to a hate group designation from our friends at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, that's the type of designation. That's the type of uh, label, slander, smear that would be used against police officers here in the state of California. Now, this means that potentially if you have uh, if you have any affiliation with our organization, California Family Council, if you have an affiliation with uh, FRC, uh, heck, if you are maybe a member of the Knights of Columbus. I mean, we saw over the last four years people like Bernie Sanders and others attack Catholic individuals who are members of the Knights of Columbus uh, somehow implying that they were uh, unworthy to be confirmed to a position because of their membership in the Catholic Church. 
Now, that's exactly the type of thing that I think would start happening in the state of California if this bill somehow becomes law. If simply um, having an association with an organization that believes orthodox historical things about sexuality or gender is sufficient to disqualify one from public office, um, most people who attend churches or who are members of a church uh, would not be far from being excluded from these positions. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at, again, the vast majority of churches in this country, uh, they still adhere to a biblical ethic of sexual morality. Uh, They still adhere to a biblical ethic of life in the womb. Um, Now, obviously, Joseph, you and I know some of these churches are maybe not as outspoken, not as, um, you know, forthright in declaring their positions as, as we might like them to be sometimes. But internally, uh, you look at their statements of faith, you look at their creeds and convictions on their website and their uh, founding documents, most churches are still biblically orthodox. And the fact that just being a member in one of those churches could now be enough to prevent you from getting hired. And Joseph, it's not just for new hires. This bill actually says that after passage, if a current police officer was found out to be a member of one of these so-called hate groups, quote-unquote, they would be up for review and possible termination. Yeah, Jonathan, there, there's a – this. when I saw this legislation, it reminded me of a story we covered last week here on Washington Watch in Hong Kong where the, uh, the communist Chinese have essentially um, – ended the democracy, the vestiges of democracy that were there in Hong Kong by saying you can't have democratically elected um, members of their of their government anymore. And they are requiring what they refer to as a patriotic oath in order to hold uh, public positions there. And we covered that because it's such a sad story that people in Hong Kong who used to be able to vote for, I think it was a third of their of their governmental representatives. It wasn't everybody, but it was a third. They actually had a voice in who represented them. Now they have no one because the Chinese Communist Party wants to make sure that everybody in these positions is a quote-unquote patriot, as they define that. And, of course, that just means card-carrying loyal communist. I can't help but seeing similarities here where you have – a, the state of California potentially saying that you have to believe X, Y, and Z, and you can never have had associations with people that we don't like or groups that we don't like in order to hold public office. Do you think this is a fair comparison? Well, sadly, I do. And you can reach back even further into biblical times. I mean, uh, it was very simple for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look, they could maintain their position as members of the king's royal court, they could maintain these, this prominent role and uh, have a comfortable life. All they had to do was bow down to that golden statue. I mean, come on, what's the big deal? It's, it's just take a knee, you know? What, why do you have to make such a big deal about it? Why can't you just go along to get along? And I think, Joseph, that will be a very strong um, temptation or a very strong pressure yeah. for a lot of young people who are coming up wanting to become uh, members of the police force. Uh, if they are faced with an opportunity of becoming a deacon at their church or losing their job, I mean, that that's going to be a very tough position to put a lot of young people in. And my hope and prayer is that they would have the courage and the confidence to not fall for that decision, but also 
my hope is that if this law somehow becomes uh, enacted, uh, this has to be unconstitutional. I mean, you're the attorney on the show, but I cannot imagine that this would survive a First Amendment challenge. I think you're probably right about that. I pray that you're right about that with the current make of the of the with the current makeup of the Supreme Court. I'm optimistic that that is that is true. Now I'm gonna I, I got maybe one more question for you because we are running out of time. This might be seem tongue in cheek, but for a lot of America, we hear about ideas like ideological tests for being a police officer, and we think this is absurd. You know, where do they come up with this stuff? Are they just running out of, quote-unquote, progressive things to do in California? Have they just had a monopoly so long that they've done every kind of progressive thing they could and they have to try to think of something else? Is that where this comes from? Well, I think it is true, Joseph. You really do see that on a regular basis, every year in California, my colleagues at California Family Council and I kind of you know, brace for what is going to be the craziest bill to come out of the legislature uh, this year. Because you really do feel like they are always trying, the legislature is trying their best to flank each other, to get to the farthest left and be the most absurd. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned these bills uh, that, are, that are very dangerous, but on the ridiculous, we have a bill this year that would ban the use of segregating children's toys in Target, Kmart, Walmart. You could not segregate children's toys by gender. It would not be fair to have an aisle just of Barbies for the girls and an aisle of action figures, G.I. Joes, for the boys. You have to mix everything together because otherwise it might be offensive. Jonathan Keller, we're going to have to bring you back to talk about that one because it is ridiculous but also important to know about. Thanks for joining us today on Washington Watch. And for the rest of you, thank you for joining us. We will see you tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.